0: Hey guys, my name is Dagna Milashita and I'm currently studying elementary education at the University of Northern Colorado. But before I got here, I served on the Smoky Hill High School Summit yearbook staff for two years and then on the third year, I became the editor-in-chief under the guidance of my yearbook advisor, Carrie Faust. Faust is one of the best teachers, role models, and friends that I have ever known. Her class was nothing that I expected it to be, but everything I needed and more. She has taught me to be dedicated and to pursue what I love. She told us the honest truth, in the most loving and supportive way, of course, in order for us to become our best selves. She gave us a home away from home. She gave us countless amounts of memories. So thank you, Faust, for being the most dedicated teacher I've ever known and for showing me what it truly means to care about your students. Okay, here's the show.
1: hey there, friends and yearbook advisors, yearbook staff members, yearbook people everywhere. Welcome back to another episode of the Yearbook Wise Podcast. My name is Mike Simmons. I'm the advisor of the Tesseray Yearbook in Corning Painted Post High School in Corning, New York, upstate. And uh, it's good to be back with you. It's been a few weeks. Uh, It's been pretty busy in our lab. I'm not sure about yours, but we finished our spring supplement, which was 40 pages. Uh, That takes us from mid-March to mid-May on a... uh, about a two-month production cycle, and uh, in that time I also finished up another yearbook that I'm involved in. Uh, For the last four years, we've had a group of students from Tesserae mentor students uh, in the third, fourth, and fifth grades at one of our local elementary schools that my own children uh, attend. Um, We just wrapped the fourth year of the Down Under yearbook at Winfield Street Elementary School. It's called the Down Under because their mascot is of course the Kangaroo. And uh, the kids on volume one four years ago uh, had the, uh, the honor and privilege of naming that program. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's changed its face uh, a few times over the last couple of years. We, um, we had about 22 kids involved last year, 22 elementary school students uh, with about a dozen mentors from Tesserae. Uh, this year we downsized to fourth and fifth grade only and uh, 11 participants mentored by, uh, I think, about six kids on the Tesserae program. You know, with the media students that we've got in our programs, as, as savvy as they are, uh, be it in, in video production or as stills photographers, as designers, as communicators uh, and journalists, there's all sorts of opportunities that you've got as media advisors. To encourage your middle and high school students to have a stake in the school and community around them. Uh, we call that service journalism or service media. Um, you know, just this morning, I had three photographers from our program out along the course of the GlassFest uh, 8K uh, road race here in Corning. Uh, and and they were volunteering their time um, with the Wine Glass Marathon organization that sponsors GlassFest uh, and, and acting as, as race course photographers. Um, we have in the, in the past had our students out uh, taking pictures of uh, the senior lineups of our varsity sports, um, doing uh, headshots for programs for our drama club. And uh, I just, you know, I, I take a, what I think is an appropriate amount of pride. But, uh, you know, it, it makes my heart uh, glow that our kids can, can be active in the community and, and give back some. So we've been busy and, uh, and that's why uh, things in podcast land haven't been that productive. Uh, but uh, we're about to make up for it. This is going to be a long episode, uh, fair warning. You may want to break it into uh, half and half, but I think it's perhaps the most uh, important and, and timely episode that we've recorded yet. My guest in today's episode is uh, the second of the three um, yearbook besties that I've welcomed as a guest. Uh, Carrie Faust is the longtime advisor of the Summit yearbook at Smoky Hills High School in Aurora, Colorado. She is one of my very best friends in the world and is um, is somebody who uh, inspires me and my students um, and, and challenges me to be a, a better advisor and, and to push my kids um, even further than, uh, than, than they and, and perhaps I think that they can go uh, she has been a, a vital part of my yearbook life uh, since we met back, I think, circa 2008 or so. It's almost 10 years now. And um, she is, uh, is well known for her energy and passion, her expertise, and, um, and just some really outstanding and, and tremendous uh, award-winning journalistically-based uh, yearbooks at, uh, at Smokey. We're going to get into theme development and, um, again, fair warning, uh, it's, it's a long uh, conversation, but I think one that you'll, you'll be able to hopefully listen, maybe re-listen, uh, advisors, maybe share this with your editors in chief or encourage perhaps your entire staffs, uh, to, to listen. That's not a, a shameless plug to get more subscribers, but I really think of the, uh, 11 episodes that we've produced thus far. This is perhaps the, the most important as it goes to getting your, uh, your 2019 book off to the uh, to the right start. This is also, I should say, timeless uh, advice. So if you happen to be listening to this uh, a few months down the road or, or next year as we're kicking over towards uh, the 2020 uh, class of books, um, this advice, I think you'll find, is going to hold up just fine. Uh, without much further, I think uh, the stage is set. You may want your notebooks handy. Uh, but I hope you enjoy uh, hearing this conversation and uh, a strong, strong take on theme development from my friend and mentor and uh, just an all-star advisor, Carrie Faust from uh, the Summit Yearbook at Smoky Hill High School. Carrie, when a staff is done, um, as most of ours are, and you finished school, you had your last day with students, was it yesterday? Yesterday. Or two days ago?
0: Actually, yeah. two days ago. Wednesday, we had finals.
1: Okay, so you're lucky. I've got a whole other month with my (laughs) students um, up here in upstate New York. So thanks for that. Sure. Happy Um, to do it. But but see, you
0: get to have the fun in the fall when I'm already back.
1: That is true. That is true. Uh, But all of this conversation is around getting your staff started on what's next. And I know it's a process that you've already, I believe, begun with your staff. And I'm guessing, knowing you, that it continues and then maybe you have some meetings upcoming with your kiddos or a Barnes and Noble field trip. We'll get into all of that. But once you submitted your book, um, as it specifically relates to theme, what kinds of activities are you doing in your room um, to, to start them just at the very basic steps? Not, not the formula, which you and I are going to talk about in a couple minutes, but right. is it sitting them down with magazines or putting them cool hunting online? Do you stay away from Pinterest? Where are you going in those early, uh, very early stages?
0: So in the earliest stages, we don't actually look anywhere at all. We just have lots and lots of conversations because we start with a story. What story do we want to tell this year? What story did we tell last year? What story have we told for the last three years? What's changing in our school? What's coming up for our school? Is is our school different than other schools near us? Is it more different this coming year than it was next year? Is it exactly the same as it was last year? So we spend Time looking at last year's book and the stories that we told, the actual articles we wrote, and the coverage we did, and we look at what we told, what we wish we would have told, what we wish we would have told differently, uh, stories that we know were happening in our school and somehow didn't make it in the book, and we look through all of those and just try to figure out who we are and what's important, and we just focus on stories. So, this. The start of theme development for my school has nothing to do with theme. We just spend time talking about our community and who we are.
1: So you never have a conversation. I know um, you guys are Smoky Hill High School. Um, it's the summit yearbook. So mm-hmm. you never, um, a, a student doesn't come up to you and say, um, hey, Faust, next year, can we do... Um, red and green pride. Can that, can that be our theme next year? They don't have the conversation that way.
0: No, that's not how we start the conversation. Now, of course, kids come up to me and say, Hey, what, what if we um, do uh rough and tough, always a buff, you know, that's the inclination to go for something that has to do with school colors or something that has to do with the school mascot. But those often happen randomly. And I'll say, oh, that's a great idea when we all know it's not a great idea. And I say, we'll get to that point right now. We're going to start by just talking about who we are. So, so that I kind of just put those off while we move forward, talking about who we are instead of a theme. I think, I think staffs can get really stuck in this idea of we need a theme, we need a theme, we need a theme, but there's not, any development behind that theme, they haven't figured out why they're doing it. So when they start g- throwing things out, you know, red and green forever, or and I'm serious, I every year get something rough, tough, always a buff. Every year, some new kid who's super excited about yearbook throws something like that at us, and. And it's just not time for that yet. When you go back and you think about the school itself and the stories that you want to tell, then those kind of less desirable theme ideas have a way of weeding themselves out before you get to the end of the discussion.
1: And I'm going to guess if I visited your lab, you might say, that's, that is an idea, kiddo, but.
0: Or because I am who I am. That's a terrible idea, kiddo, but only because you don't yet know how we do it. And and I'll say, what's the story behind rough and tough and always a buff? What, what does that mean? And then I send them back to think about that.
1: We should interject here. You guys are the buffaloes. So oh, yeah, I don't if that wasn't apparent. To Otherwise, rough
0: and tough and always a buff doesn't make sense. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, so it's story first. It's story first. And, story and I will first. say, um, and, and I... I am who I am, and I, I, I know that you are not a sugar of things. You're pretty practical and, right. and real with your kids. Um, I When I've been exploring some of the um, advisor conversations on Facebook um, that have really, um, it feels like come on in the last year and a half. I, I spend too much time on Facebook, but I've really enjoyed um, those online learning communities. I feel like I do see a lot of our colleagues um, taking maybe taking a cue from the kids and bringing out, you know, my, my kids want to do, um, you know, a purple and gold forever. Like it's just, it's mm-hmm. a really easy one to, to see. Cause I, I feel like I've seen it the last couple of weeks and right. I know that you and I aren't at all. Um, we don't want to be dismissive of our colleagues that haven't approached no. theme this way before. But I think the takeaway from this facet of the conversation is to challenge your kids to say, but what's the story?
0: Yes. That's the key because, um, I know that a lot of questions I get from advisors is all about how do we keep that theme going through the book and how do we make it fresh all the way through. And, and the, and the thing is, is when you don't have a story behind your theme, when you don't have an idea, when you don't have a driving force, a reason that's when theme stays stale and stagnant and doesn't have developmental opportunities. But when you start with story When you start with story and purpose, then the words come that are, you know, theme happens way down the line. For me, it's story, words, pretty, and then you have a theme. So you find your story, you find the words that illustrate that story, and then you find the pretty, the graphics, the colors, the beauty that, and the, photo treatments or whatever, that then illustrate the verbal story. And when all of that comes together, those three things together become a theme. And more often than not, young advisors, new advisors, advisors that haven't yet drunk the, the Kool-Aid, and they are awesome and doing their thing and getting it through. And I commend them. They're simply going with a phrase that the kids came up with for the cover. And then it, the theme itself falls apart. The words on the cover are not your theme. It's so much
1: more than that. When you talk about, um, I I think a a helpful illustration that I don't know if I picked it up from you or or some of our friends in the network or just over the years. You know, I've said to my students, think of a company that is about uh, not making excuses, about getting stuff done, about making things happen, about if you're with us, we can help you in reaching your goals. Um, And, you know, you you paint that story, that corporate identity Mm -hmm. that way. And I say, who is it? hands go up and they say well it's nike and i said how did you know and they're like well let's just do just it just do it and so to ha- to have advisors think about you know who's got your back who's trustworthy who's there when you need them just like your neighbor oh it's state farm okay. or you know and and to do those exercises because as you and i have talked about over coffees and at workshops the the pros that do this at the corporate level in branding a a corporate identity and core values of Mm -hmm. what our brand is or what they can help us do as their customers then distilling it into three words or a phrase. I mean, they are literally the experts at this.
0: It, absolutely. And and that's who we should be taking our inspiration from. You know, once we decide what the story is of the year, is it a story of growth? Is it a story of adversity? Is it a story of friendships? Is it a story of change? You know, whatever you decide the story is, then you start looking to the experts and how they've crafted their words and what stories they're telling. And that's when you start looking for inspiration. You know, I, I think um, for years, we all did it kind of wrong. We saw something cool and we decided, ooh, we want our books to look like this this year. And then we tried to. To construct a yearbook around that graphic idea, and I think it's just a much stronger place to start when you start with story. I talk, my kids and I talk about um, the overall feel. I I did a piece with them once where I showed them uh, the insides of chain restaurants pictures of them without showing them the branding, the logo, the name, and they were able to immediately pick up on it. Oh, that's Chipotle. How do you know? Well, it's got the, it's got the corrugated kind of um, metal everywhere and, and exposed, um, Ductwork. Oh, that's Panera. How do you know? Well, I think it's the colors that Panera uses and the, the fireplace, and it feels really cozy. And I showed him, you know, the inside of McDonald's and, and all different things. And we spent some time identifying what the different restaurants are trying to show us. The thing is, is theme is all around us. Theme is every single store we walk into every restaurant we walk into every advertising campaign we see and and we don't we're not immediately aware of it all we know is that we feel safe and comfortable and inspired to do whatever it is we're supposed to be doing with that theme in that space and and that's how your book storytelling ultimately when when it's really executed in, in a great way. Your readers don't really... They're not aware of the theme. In fact, if they're aware of the theme, it's probably a bit too much. Instead, everything just makes sense. Everything falls into place, and and the experts out there do that so perfectly. So just like in our English classes, we study writing. Uh, you know, you give the kids a poem and you have them reconstruct it in their own words using the same cadence. We do, we should do the same thing with advertisements and branding that we see around us, and that helps lead the kids into where they're getting get to for theme. This year, I mean, we started theme the day after uh, we dismissed the seniors. So we um, we sent our supplement, I think, on April twelfth, and we started theme on that day. And then our last day of school was yesterday. So we've already spent a, a month and a half on theme for next year, and it started with stories, and then we moved on to inspiration from the professionals and
1: not visual inspiration, simply uh, verbal inspiration. So how do you? When you're talking with your staff or with staffs at, at the workshops and conventions that you teach at nationally, how do you mm-hmm. approach uh, or come to a school that says, well, we don't really have anything going on next year? And, and what I mean to say is, um, as you know, with our story at Tesserae, we just finished the first four-year, full four-year rotation mm-hmm. at a brand new school. Mm-hmm. So our path through these last four years, I feel, was was pretty straightforward. The first year was the transition. So it was a book about transitions and coming together and, and we can get into the rest of it. But if you've got a school that just has a, a quote unquote normal year ahead, there isn't a new principal, there isn't a new wing being built, mm-hmm. there is not a new technology initiative. It's just a year in middle America in 2019. Um, can you give us a, a, a peek at some of the strategies that you would employ to help kids Um, uh, uh, I I know you talked about story about, about 10 minutes ago about some of those prompts, but, um, how do we know if we go after a a pride book or a location book or some of those other things? How do you prompt them into that?
0: Okay. So I think that's a great question. And, um, I do think sometimes we get hung up on what the types of themes are like, it's a pride book, it's a location book or anything like that. And, and again, I'm going to keep hitting story, but, um, We start talking about who we are in our community, what makes us different. For example, um, my district has six high schools in it, and we're all within about a six-mile radius of each other. I mean, these kids have been in and out of each other's uh, elementary school and middle schools all along, but all six high schools have very different identities. You know, There's the sports school. There's the rich school. We're the diverse school. There's the STEM school. um, There's the new school. So- we all have these different identities. And so we try to walk down um, in those years where there's nothing else to talk about, nothing else going on. We try to talk about who we are and then we talk about how we are perceived. Some of the things we do, um, we write down uh, all the cliches that we hear about Smokey and, and I instruct other um, staffs that I work with to do that too. And I take a step further, text someone who, you know, who goes to another school, the rival school, the nearby school, the sister school. What does what do the people in your community feel about Smokey? When they say, oh, you go to Smokey, that's the blank school. What kind of school is it? What is the oh, perception wow. of who you are? And then we start breaking it down. Are those perceptions correct? Is it something we want to... Uh, jump on board with and take further or is it something that we want to come back at? Like, that's not who we are. And so we, we try to build our story around that in those years. Does that make sense? I love it.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. And I should note here too, um, when Aaron Harris was on uh, a few weeks ago with her um, outstanding umbrella coverage episode, Ugh, um, she's we, so smart. <laughs> she slayed it. She, and and yeah. it, it was, it was so good. Um. The the three of you, um, adding in also Megan Percival, you guys have um, branded yourselves as the Yearbook Besties and <laughs> really, I, I think set a trend maybe three or four years ago of saying, you know, we've got these thoughts, you could catch us at a workshop or a convention, but we're also sharing all of this online, um, which is right. phenomenally generous of you. Um, so this is all a plug to get people to yearbookbesties.com. And it strikes it me is. that some, some of, you're welcome, some of mm-hmm. what we're talking about is there in the forms of um, PDFs and presentations it that is. could be a really nice accessory to this podcast um, today. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think there are things in there. There there are a couple of different presentations that we've done and that we've just put them in PDF form for people that could just get your kids talking, give them ideas, thinking about what it is they want to say. Um, I think we have to remember that your book at its core is a storybook about your school. And, and yes, I think the pictures are, dominant and necessary and it should be that way. But, but at its core, it's a story of your school this year. It's a story that no one else could tell. It's a story of who you are. Um, I like to push my kids toward themes and ultimately theme copy. In fact, a lot of times we write the theme copy long before we get to the visual, um, theme and theme copy that is so specific. You could not pick it up. Like, There there should never be a year where Tesserae could use the same theme and same theme copy as Summit. We're just two totally different schools and we have totally different stories. And even in the years that we're both growing or we're both changing or we're both getting a schedule change or whatever, it's affecting our communities differently. And so the words that we choose to tell the stories really should be absolutely specific to who we are.
1: And let's give a quick example of that. If um, if you and I, and I know that we've seen and critiqued books, and, and mm-hmm. this is all offered from a place of um, honesty and for sake of helping, helping advisors grow. improve. So, so if mm-hmm. you're listening to this right now and you're thinking we're going to be a little bit harsh, please understand this is about helping staffs around the country improve. But if we read opening copy that says... Um, We come to Millersville High School as freshmen, and we learn in four years to become better versions of ourselves. We walk the halls, and we play games, and then Mm -hmm. we're seniors, and we graduate. That could have Mm -hmm. been written in 1937, and that could have been written. It could be
0: written in any school, anywhere, anytime,
1: And, and, and,
0: and, and the key is getting specific Getting straight to specifics about your school, you know, yes, we do all walk through the halls as freshmen, but we do it differently um, in your school. Freshmen may be on the freshman hallway we don 't have a freshman hallway, we do have a link day where they all come in and they meet their mentors and they meet their buddies and all of these things, so there are ways to tell that story, and that story is valid, but it needs to be about who your kids are and about the experiences they've had. You know, if every freshman has Dr. Weissman at some point, then we need to say his name. If every freshman has to go through the longest line in the history of lines to get their English nine textbook, then you need to talk about that.
1: And you need to if your speak. Kids, I going to say, if your kids are going yeah. to Friday night football game, where would they go mm-hmm. for a slice of pizza beforehand?
0: Um, and in my school, the kids wouldn't be going to a Friday night football game oh, because so I mean okay. this in a generous way, but, uh, we don't, we don't have a wonderful football program. Although go buffs, we got a new coach and we're super excited. So football should never show up in our theme copy, unless to say you went to the game, uh, anyway, even though we are 0 and seven or something like that, because football is not a tradition at our school. What is a tradition at our school is slam poetry and everybody's gonna hit panda before the before we get started at the at the poetry slam. So Got it. don't go generic. Think about who your school is and what they are. I mean we very rarely you can go back through the theme copies in our um, books over the last 15 years that I've been part of smoky hill and there is a very little reference to football. And that's a go-to for everybody. It is a go-to in, in theme copy, and it should be for many, many schools, but it definitely shouldn't be for other schools unless you're doing it in a, in a loving self-deprecating way, for example, in
1: our school. And just a local shout out to the Corning Paint post-school district. It is Anilio's on Friday night before the football game. Very so cool. So that's that. very specific. <laughs> um, this is uh i don't know that we've used this terminology before but uh in the episode but we're talking about local universals Mm -hmm. in that everybody has a a uh restaurant touch point that is the teenager hangout Mm -hmm. everybody has um that quirky um teacher that is probably you know uh tells really bad dad jokes and, yeah. but everybody loves, right. Or everybody has that place. They go for coffee on the way in before, you know, you, Smokey wants to name drop that in their way. Tesserae wants to grab that in their way. Yes. And Millersville high school wants to make sure that their copy couldn't have been written in 1937 or 1982, but is exactly. only for 2019 at Millersville. I love it. Um, once we've gotten after story and we're moving this, this down, down the field a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. I've I've heard you give advice that goes back to the professionals again and and again we're not ready to talk about um, the look of the book but how do we evolve story into that specific and focused message it's a a word a phrase how do we get there
0: so here's so I try to use very specific. Um terminology with my kids to keep them away from this idea of theme. Because again, like I said before, I think theme is, it has three components before you get there. So when we're in phase two, um, so find your, find your story, find your words, find your pretty. Um, When we're in find your words, I refer to that as the tagline, the words that are going to, show up on the cover of your book are your tagline, your tagline together with your visuals, create a theme. So now we're on a tagline hunt. So this is where we start pulling out magazines and going to Pinterest and going um, to ads of the and jumping on Behance and looking at the different portfolios and looking for inspiration. But unlike most No, I'm going to back up in the way I say that. It's not unlike most schools. I think our inclination is to look at the pretty in magazines. I mean – Um, studies have shown that the first time anyone looks at a magazine, they leaf through and look at all the visuals and then they come back and do the reading and they, they treat our yearbooks the same way. We have to kind of break that habit when we are on our tagline hunt. This is phase two. You're on your tagline hunt. We're not looking at the visuals in magazines at all, but instead we're looking at all the pieces of text on ad pages. So here's how that kind of looks in my classroom. I have the kids bring in magazines and um, a lot of my kids can't afford to go out and buy five magazines for this uh, exercise. So we have a deal with my, our school library that when when they um, phase out magazines, I think they do it after six months. They, they rotate them out. All those magazines come to me. My kids go and they raid doctor's offices and nail salons. And we have to be careful about that because we don't want all the same types of magazines. We want boy magazine and girl magazines and um, finance magazines and real estate magazines and everything you can think of, car magazines and Because we want a wide variety of advertisements. Now, even then it's not as simple as it sounds. It's not as cut and dried. In fact, I'm gonna grab, I have a pile of magazines here. So I have I have my golf digest. So when we open, and I'm gonna try to be as visual as I can in this verbal podcast world, when we open a magazine, we go page by page reading the um reading the the advertising copy so um i'm on a i'm on a tailor-made golf club uh, ad right now tailor-made number one driver in golf one face to rule them all Ooh, one face to rule them all one school to rule them all one place to rule them all that would be that'd be a very cool idea if you were the top dog school in your district um the or if next, if you're a lord one, of the rings fan lord of the <laughs> rings fan perfect yeah, yeah. um ethic <laughs> Epic ball speed has gone rogue. Ooh, has Smokey gone road this year? Are we doing it differently than everyone else? That's interesting. Um Brightling. Nope, nothing good there. Uh, capital One. Memories are made around meals. Memories are made around re- meals. Okay, that's something yearbooky with the word memories. It's a little bit cheesy, but I like the idea. So we go through, and one of the things I do is I turn on um, my '80s station on Pandora or Spotify, and I turn up the music because one one of our ways is to physically read the words we see on the page out loud um, because. You can't play with words until you hear them rolling out of your mouth. And so so we all sound like kind of a bunch of idiot savants just sitting in the room mumbling to ourselves. But I turn right. up the music because kids are more likely to participate if they don't think people are listening to them. And they just say the words that they see on the ad pages out loud. I just got to a Maui gym one, and the view's better from here. That's interesting. Um, We're Smoky Hill. We're not built on a hill, so there is no view. So that wouldn't work for us. But I like the idea, especially since we've got a school down the street called Grand View. So that might be a cool one for them. And we just play with these words. And the words come from so many different places. You know, uh, we did a book a couple years ago, sort of close to Exactly Right, and we had already decided that the story that year was about how teenagers for whatever reason think everything have to be has to be perfect. Um get the perfect grades, find the perfect prom date, have uh the perfect hair when you come back from school or from summer break or whatever. But that That's not how it's going to be. The part of being a teenager, this was our story, part of being a teenager is getting it wrong. And that's exactly right in and of itself. So when we were looking for words that year, these came up around in a really strange way, sort of close to exactly right. We got sort of close from a pizza place ad, sort of close to Italy Was their tagline sort of close to Italy and then exactly right came from um, a watch ad exactly the right time. So we melded those two phrases into sort of close to exactly right. So they had never come from They weren't from anywhere else, but they were inspired by two other ads. And they told the story that sort of close to exactly right was this teen need for perfection, but it's not supposed to be perfect and it that in and of itself is exactly right. So the, that phrase that we found really organized the story that we wanted to tell into some pretty cool words. So there we were with the tagline.
1: So let me stop you there for, for two mm-hmm. questions. Um and yeah. this is this is fantastic. And I hope that those of you who are listening in the podcast are just eating this up because this is this is Grade A level um, advice you're getting from Carrie. Um, what does your room look like? Um, not in the kid uh, where the kids are and that the fact that they're listening to music, but what are or what is the collection point for the content and the ideas? Are you uh, poster board on the walls? Are you um, having them contribute everything on clips yeah. and JPEGs to a Google Drive folder? Um, and then I've got a question about spinoffs um, when you're, when you're done. okay.
0: Um, Would we get to the visual um, that happens differently every year, but this verbal part <clears throat> evolved to a place where it hasn't changed in a lot of years. So we, we clear off the whiteboards and whenever something rolls off a kid's tongue that makes their ears perk up, they physically stand up, go to the whiteboard where I've got like 18 markers and they just write it down no explanation they don't write their name next to it it's pretty anonymous and they just put the phrase there that's where we collect the original phrases and then you know sometimes we often we do this over multiple days and multiple sessions and of course at some point uh a camera phone comes out and we take a picture so we can collect them for later. But the the initial data collection happens on the whiteboard because it's just so much more communal. If you tell kids to write things down at their, at their desk or at their seat and then share them out, they're more likely to self-censor, oh, that was a dumb idea, and not say it out loud um, when it's time to share around. Instead, when they're all up on the board and everyone has a chance to peruse these phrases, uh, people can either admit that they put it up there or not. Sometimes we end up with phrases that people who didn't write them up there end up advocating for. Because then we go through a whole, hey, who likes this, Who doesn't? Is there something about this that you want to say yes to? Is there something about this that you think is a bad idea? Who's going to advocate which way for this phrase? And then we vary, you know, kind of old school, low tech, start erasing things. Okay. But the kids say, can I delete this one? And then they use an eraser, but that's, that's how we go through it until we get down to a smaller group of words that we may or may not want to explore.
1: I got it. I love it. Now we've got some people talking, um, on the Facebook high school yearbook teachers and advisors group. Um, one of a couple groups that I'm a part of, and I posted out this morning and said, what questions do you have for a theme development expert? Mm-hmm. And somebody said, uh, actually, in two different questions, I'm kind of blending them. Um, Shannon Wolf is a um, new advisor um, who will, she's not advised yet. She's going to advise in the fall. Cool. Welcome Ruschman- to the world, O'Brien, Shannon. I know, right? And Janice Rushman O'Brien is an advisor in New Jersey. And they both um, had questions about um, uh, how to not let the theme get lost in the book nor to let it get redundant and i clarified something with janice on facebook before we began i said do you mean uh how to have it on the cover and page four and page 44 and page 144 without it without you know making you just want to gag or or, you Mm -hmm. know punch yourself in the face because you get sick of it Mm -hmm. um those two questions to me go to spin-offs and how to manifest the theme throughout the book um this this conversation, this question could be its own podcast mm-hmm. episode. Um, so, so we'll try to be succinct. How, yeah. How do we, how do we talk about taking sort of close to exactly right or one plus one equals one and turning it into a story for the football team, turning it into a mm-hmm. coverage package for kids, getting their driver's licenses mm-hmm. and turn it into um, a topic that could help us embrace, uh, let's say current events.
0: Love it. This is a great question. And I'm, and, and I think it's one that stymies a lot of people now. I'm just going to advocate for this way that my kids do it one more time. We answer this question when we're still back in story and words long before we ever get to visual. And I think it allows the visual to develop better when you answer these questions earlier to find out whether this phrase that you've come up with is really fluid enough to use throughout an entire 200 or 300 page book. So we do a lot of wordplay at this point. Um, I'm going to give you uh, two little stories about how we do it. So for example, we start with sort of close to exactly right up on the whiteboard again. So sometimes, actually, sometimes it's on the whiteboard and sometimes we break the kids up into, um, groups of three or four or five kids and let them work on it individually. But we put up all the words from the phrase we've come up with. So sort of close to exactly right, sort of close to exactly right. Um, That's five words that year. So each word gets a column or a group of kids. And we come up with every phrase that you could think of with that word in it. So we start with sort of and we go all through it. Start with exactly. And then another group is working on close and exactly and whatever. Michael, help me if I'm not saying this well. But we come up with all the words that we could possibly come up with from, or all the phrases we can come up with from that word. So, for let's say the word exactly, um, exactly the right idea, exactly the right prom date. uh, When did exactly
1: the right time?
0: Exactly the right time. When did you get it exactly right? uh, When were you exactly wrong? uh, Things like that.
1: Opposite. Yeah, opposite themes are huge too. Opposites are
0: amazing until we come up with lists of really, I want at least 20 phrases per word that's going to appear in your tagline. Then from that, we assign those phrases, you know, we call them out. Sometimes they're, you know, dumb. Some of the best ideas come from the first dumb run, and we call them out down to maybe 10 to 20 phrases. Then we go back to, um, up on the yearbookbesties.com website, there's a 50 ways to tell a story, and one of our slides there has a ton of different, um, depending on the vocabulary you use, sidebars, mods, secondary stories. So for example, like a QA and a or a he said, she said, or a timeline, or I don't know, the a, a stuff mod, whatever it is, we start assigning those phrases to the different mods here's what i mean by that and i'm actually gonna i'm standing in my room i have a stack of all the yearbooks that i've um been part of over the years so i'm going to open up my book so for example for example and sort of close to exactly right one of our mods was called exactly what you need and we used that multiple times in the book this one that i just opened to on page 61 exactly what you need is the headline the subhead then becomes the content of the actual mod. So exactly what you need uses the part of the tagline to continue the verbal theme throughout the book, but the subhead, how to create the perfect movie day outfit, movie day was one of our spirit days that year. And then it goes on to show you how to be Elsa, how to be an evil minion, how to be thing one and thing two, and, and a picture of three different kids in their costumes with a how to on how they created their costume. So let
1: me ask you a a clarifying question. What page is that on? What number?
0: That page is on 61 and sort of close to exactly right.
1: Okay. And we're going to do this in real time. So can you fan through the book and find one more of that exact same mod? Do you think you can?
0: Yep. Let me look. And while Carrie's
1: looking, those of you who are listening to the podcast, understand that what we're talking about here is developing a menu of, Uh, This is my language, maybe not carries, but a menu of resources and mods where you can say throughout the book, we're going to have this style mod um, 10, 15, 20 times. And it becomes one of just one of the common threads that holds your entire book together. Um, You might have a a mod sort of close, close means to me proximity to a location. So for if I was doing this in Corning, I could do sort of close to Anelios or sort of close to Market Street where our kids gravitate gravitate, or sort of close to the north side, sort of close to Watkins Glen. And now I've got this location-based mod. And I don't know, Carrie, if you guys did this, but it, it would work, I think, that, mm-hmm. that you've got a, a location-based mod that you can activate Again, five, six, eight times throughout the book. And then it provides uh, some ongoing structure. Were you able to find a different one? I
0: did. Um, Page 42 has exactly what you need again. But the subhead is to perform well in a spontaneous combustion improv show. And then we've got three different kids, three different photos from the improv show. Uh, One says courage and a quote to go with that. One says spontaneity and a quote to go with that. And one says affection and a quote to go with that. So it's a totally different topic packaged in this verbal theme-based mod so that you're you're telling different stories. And, and here's the thing that's brilliant about this. My kids went and covered the improv show that day. They didn't know what mod they were going to use or if it was going to be a dominant. They went and covered. And when they came back and determined what coverage they had, then they shopped our library of mods to determine which was the best way to, I guess, present the coverage that we got to the school. So so that allows the secondaries and tertiaries and quaternaries, the non-dominant stories on the spread to further your theme without it becoming junky or redundant.
1: I want to interject there, if, if when we're talking about mod development, this mm-hmm. is for listeners, if you are um, perhaps newer to the yearbook universe or maybe not, um, or, or your program hasn't um, pursued a lot of journalistic coverage or multi-layered coverage, what we're talking about is anchoring a spread with a dominant package. Um, there is no formula, but it's probably going to be the biggest photo, the biggest article, biggest headline. Maybe some... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was saying no formula because maybe there's two, three, four, five subdominant pictures. But right. then there's going to be some uh, some kind of physical white space, some kind of gap, and then over here, another layer of storytelling, and then down here, another layer of storytelling, and maybe over in this corner, a fourth layer of storytelling, we call mm-hmm. those mods. And it allows you to leverage multiple story angles on one spread. That might be new to some, to some listeners. Well
0: explained, Michael.
1: Uh, it's a verbal medium, not visual. So. It
0: is. So you got to do it. So, and but the other thing I would make sure that we say, um, you know, when we're talking about theme and and these this this concern that it becomes redundant, um, people who are staffs that are just learning to play with theme, verbal theme, um, sometimes make the mistake of every or trying to make the dominant headlines also push the theme, and that's not a place where you need to do it. The dominant headlines on a page for the dominant story should push the story. They don't have to relate and they shouldn't relate back to the, to the overall yearbook verbal tag. That's the job of those secondaries that Michael was just talking about. All of those have the verbal in them, but if it's a story about getting their butt kicked on the football field, then that's what the headline should be. It shouldn't be sort of close to not winning at all. Um, <laughs> because that's just ugly and that's where the redundancy comes in. So it should just be a headline that promotes the the topic of the story, not one that pr- promotes the verbal theme of the book.
1: Let, let's give a, um, a culinary example and I'm, I'm doing this on the fly, but, uh, you know, if, if you and I were, were at a convention and we went out with our friends to dinner at a place called orange blossom mm-hmm. and they were known for, um, you know, orange based, Uh, foods, it would really be pretty awful if every entree had that hit of orange in it, right? But what we want to see across the menu is uh, just an inflection. Here it is a little bit here, here it is in this cocktail, over here, Mm -hmm. here it is in this dessert. But it's not that it's everywhere all at once because it can be overwhelming or, and you and I have both seen this, it can be forced. And when you do force it, it is by page 44 that you're absolutely sick of it or you've used all your good ideas and you've got nothing for the back, you know, three quarters of the book.
0: Exactly. Um, and those I,
1: things. Are...
0: I think that that's the perfect way. No, I think that's the perfect way of explaining it because your secondaries and your tertiaries, your mods on your pages are your side dishes, they're your desserts, they're your cocktail. And so they're the ones with, with the the flavor and fusion of the, of the orange, you know, I think a really good um, exercise for a staff, I did this with, um, Annie Gorenstein-Falkenberg, uh, who I think you had on a few whiles ago. She was
1: phenomenal. Her her episode yeah. about assessment and reflective grading was absolutely phenomenal. Listen,
0: she's a better teacher than I will ever be, and everything I can hear, learn hear. from her, I want. But um, yes. one of the things we did when she first took over at Longmont High School, uh, they had a great verbal theme that year, um, the long and the short of it, or Yeah. The long and the short of it. And then they made these beautiful mods in the book that were all he said, she said mods or timeline mods. And, and they were exactly what they should have been, but they were an opportunity missed to, to push the verbal tagline through the book. So we actually, after the year was over, we went back and did that exercise that I do with the different words. So the long and the short of it, we put the kids in groups. We had them come up with a bunch of phrases And retroactively, we were able to go back, now this was after the book was printed, but it was kind of like the post-mortem on last year's book to make next year's book better. We were able to go back and assign theme-based headlines for every one of the mods in their book that would have been one more opportunity for them to push that verbal through.
1: Right. Absolutely. And and being willing to engage with your staff when all is said and done, I saw. I don't know if it was. I think it was the at National JEA account, um, or maybe Student Press Rights, Classic Press Rights Commission. Somebody on Twitter posted this week. Can you do a coverage audit of your publication mm-hmm. um, now that the year is done? I think it might have been uh, pointed more towards newspaper, but it was it was getting after whose voices yes. were included this year, um, and that <laughs> a whole other podcast episode on coverage and inclusion, but. Uh, I think the, the point that I wanna make is that when you're done, you don't have to be done. In an audit of your book, what did we undercover? What did we overcover? Where could we have inflected the theme more? Where are some Absolutely. missed opportunities? To have the modesty to be able to do that in self-critique is a phenomenal exercise for you and yourself. Well, and
0: that just goes back to good teaching. I mean, we don't just hand them back essays and never speak of them again. So we shouldn't do that with the yearbooks either. And and if we're taking time to analyze how we treated verbal and visual theme, we're just going to get better every year.
1: Um, so we're inching our way. I, I want to point out for, for friends who have been who, – who is that cat? I've heard of it a couple times.
0: That days. is <laughs> August. And he Excellent. just brought me his ball to play fetch with. So you might hear him a couple more times.
1: Hey, that is, that is fine. We've had <laughs> uh, podcast cats before with Aaron. Love it. Um, what can you just, just briefly? And I, and I think I, I'll probably understand cause I, I, I understand your kids and your culture, but can you, um, this is in, in regards to a question on Facebook, um, talk about, um, encouraging ideas from all students or all editors, maybe talk a little bit about the power dynamics. I know that's kind of a loaded term um, between editors and quote unquote, just staff members. That's the four letter J word that I really dislike. Mm -hmm. Um, But but also, um, this is a a loaded question as as it goes to to staff power dynamics, but also the uh, this is the theme that we determined in May. Now it's September. The people who said this is what the theme is going to be are either graduated or mm-hmm. have not have left the program. Do we go with what a group said four months ago, even if we don't believe in it? Can you unpack that a little bit? I'm not sure if that's how your program works, but I know you've worked with staffs like that, that have had to deal with those issues.
0: Well, I think that that question is multi layered. So I'm going to try to, yes. I'm going to try to unpack it a little bit. The first thing I'm going to say is that you have your staff, you as the advisor, as the, you know, de facto leader of the group, have to be very intentional about everything you do, including not allowing staff dynamics to take over where there's a group of kids who have always been there and so they get to know everything. But that means frank discussions have to happen with your leadership and your returning staff members. So, for example, I get together with the returners long before the conversation happens with the younger kids. And I say, this book is not about you. This book is about 2,100 other kids who don't have input to the book. And these new kids who are coming into our program, They are part of the representation of those 2,100 kids just like you are, and their voices are as important as yours are. And they get it, and you get them to buy in, and you talk to them about their responsibility to not just their senior year book, but the future of the program, and including voices and including people. So then very practically, when it's time to start having these discussions, I don't allow... Kids who already know each other to sit together, and it's just as easy as taking a veteran staffer and every other, wanting them between the new kids, so that they can they have elbow partners to use the educational term, who have a different point of view and a different frame of reference, because yearbook development doesn't immediately make sense to all of us. So these questions that the new kids have are totally valid and they work to make the returners step back from what they think they know and analyze why they think they know it. Okay, so that's the and very Carrie, productive.
1: wouldn't you say sorry to interrupt you wouldn't you also say that those newer kids are more likely in sync with those other 2200 too they're they're 100%. almost representative of that student body which will be like wait what 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 is what does our theme mean or well, where are you going and- with that
0: and that's the thing, because the other kids, the returners, have been living in magical yearbook land for a year, so they get the lingo and they get the the way we do it, but they may be disconnected from who and why we do it. Because, again, they've been in magical yearbook land. We are the great creators of the yearbook, whereas these new kids coming in are the consumers of the yearbook. And so their opinions are even often more valid than... Those who've been ensconced in magical yearbook land. So right, right. when they when they can talk to each other, and again, <clears throat> it's not easy when you have new kids, but when you talk to your returners about it is your job to make the kid next to you contribute to this conversation. Ask them questions, tell them their ideas are valid. Know that we're not going to take them all. Know that even the returners, their ideas aren't all going to be used, but that in this group, in this room, the expectation is contribution so that we can get to the right place for our school.
1: And a good idea can come from anywhere. From
0: anywhere and everywhere.
1: When you, you and I uh, have a similar, I think, summertime experience, our kids, we, we never really stop. Right. Um, you and I see each other on the on the teaching circuit and we send our kids to camps. Um, let's just say that at the end of for you, May and the end of June for me, our yearbook uh, theme for the next year is is quantified as, you know, the letter A. So we've got theme mm-hmm. A that that a couple weeks later, a visit to Barnes and Noble might evolve it into maybe not even theme B, but A and a little bit more. But then when we send them right. to camp, it might be. They they have a really transformative experience and a one on one critique with a guru. And -hmm. suddenly we're at we're at theme idea queue. And we're like, wait a second, I thought we were doing this thing over here. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've gotten to this place on 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 questioning or on people challenging our assumptions that it's evolved. This happened to us, my team last year, Mm -hmm. Um, thank God. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So all of that is to say it's a pretty simple yes or no. But can themes evolve over the summer?
0: themes can and should evolve over the summer. Um, What I will tell you is that very rarely does our verbal tagline evolve, except for with some tweaking. What, What often evolves is how we're going to present that storytelling visually. In fact, often we spend all spring just being sure of who the soul of our book is. And, and that's what I always talk about with verbal, uh, the, the reasons, the why, the, where they came from, the story behind it. And, and by the time we get to Barnes & Noble or Tattered Cover or Camp or online with some guru or talking to you or the besties, the kids are so sure of the story behind the verbal that it's not really going anywhere. It very rarely goes anywhere. I would say our last six books, once the verbal was chosen in the spring, it didn't go anywhere. But the visual ended up nowhere like what we looked at in the spring. And that's, I think, where a lot of the growth comes from. Because we've done the job. In fact, I would say that we do a better job with the verbal than the visual sometimes.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue to, and I'm kind of I want to be sensitive to our time here, and those of sure. you who are listening and hanging in, I know that you know that you're getting great stuff um, out of this, but this is a this is going to be a long episode. I hope you find it worth it. <laughs> so uh, you guys. talked about tattered. No, no, no. I think it's it's uh, we're right where we need to be. Uh, you talked about, and I know about your culture, uh, the tattered cover trip mm-hmm. and Barnes and Noble. We've talked about Pinterest. Um, I think we both have encouraged our kids to look at um, magazines through uh, the online portals to our local public libraries because it's free mm-hmm. and you can screen capture things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a shorthand for us. Let's slow it down just a little bit and talk about Sourcing visual inspiration, um, magazines, okay. magazines, magazines. We're going back to the pros again. Um, it is uh, a phenomenal place to start. Can you can you talk a little bit about your your way and approach?
0: I will, but I'm going to back us up one more time before that, Please. because yes. before you can before you can do the verbal work, the visual work, you have to, um, I think, get to a place of surety with your your verbal, which I've said before, but then we take it to another level. Sometimes we we use the analogy of people a lot. You, The way a person dresses reflects who they are. If they are a quiet, shy person, they dress less flamboyantly. They want to fit in with the masses so people don't notice them. If they're a loud, prideful person, they might dress big so that everyone sees them coming down the hall. So when we, by the time we get to visual and we're looking through all those pro inspirations, we've done this exercise where sometimes we assign a grade level. Uh, so is this book a freshman, sophomore, junior, and se- or a senior? Is this book a boy or a girl? Is it going to have feminine or masculine attributes? Is this book um, shy? Is this book outgoing? Some years... We've gone and assigned – we found a kid in our school that we think this book is going to, to be like. Uh, like one year we had a book that this really outgoing African-American kid who was a junior who just was setting the world on fire and was sure of who he was, was kind of the impetus for our book. So then we, wow. then we got to a place where we talked about adjectives that go with the verbal – and this person that we've created in our mind, so that when we w- go into those professional visual pieces, we want to know: Is this the feel we're looking for? Does this piece um, back up those adjectives we came up with? Would our guy wear this piece of clothing? For for an analogy, I guess. And that's when no, we I do love it. Professional pieces.
1: And I want to give just a really specific example. So if you are talking to kids in your lab and uh, you arrive at the adjective funky and it goes Mm -hmm. up on the whiteboard and you say, Mm -hmm. "Okay, now we're going to go to Tattered Covered. And you got to remember our adjectives or whatever scripting you use with your kids that prevents your girl Maggie from Mm -hmm. finding something that's super sophisticated out of Mm -hmm. vogue that Mm -hmm. she's absolutely drop dead in love with yet is not funky and it keeps them uh, from diverging the wrong way. And that's
0: exactly the language we use. And you'll hear my kids coming back. It'd be fun to record the conversations one day at Tattered Cover. You'll hear my kids coming back with, oh my God, that's gorgeous. I love that. How does that say funky? How does that say bold? How does that fit in with shy? You know, whatever it is. But because we've done that pre-work before we even start, I mean, we're talking two months down the road before we start talking visual. Um, Because we've done that pre-work, we really know what feeling we're going for. And even then we're taking pictures of what we find in the magazines and tattered cover. And it could be anything from a headline package to a color palette, to a white space um, formula, to a um, visual layout of photographs, whether they're overlapping or uh, there is transparency involved, whatever it is we find, we take pictures of those and we call them all in a like a group meet that we're using for the day. And we really, 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 really try to make a caption with each photo explaining why we did it. Otherwise we just have a bunch of photos. That we don't know why we liked it. Like on this page, I like the headline because blank and it relates back to our theme because blank. Then We get back to school or we get back to another meeting place and then we even further kind of cultivate the collection. Does this really do what we think it did? Are these two in concert with each other or are they working against each other? And is that okay? And we go through each piece of inspiration while we try to figure out what visual direction we're going in.
1: Now I want to do a, a throwback, um, and, and apologies to Aaron. I'm going to say comfort zone was 2012 or 2013 for her, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, so friends on the, on the podcast, um, we have a, a one of the besties, Aaron Harris, uh, she was in, uh, episode 10. If you want to give it a listen. She did what is still one of my favorite books mm-hmm. just because of the, the look yeah. and, and it just, I just think it crushed and, and ticked all the marks. Yes. Um, and, and then some, uh, uh, there, there is no, there's no such thing as a comfort zone. And she uh, had shared with us the visual inspiration pieces came from a variety of sources. Mm-hmm. And what I want to illustrate here and, and have you speak to is your verbal on sort of close to exactly right came from a pizza ad and a watchmaker mm-hmm. ad that you literally mashed mm-hmm. up. Um, I know from talking to her that Aaron's book um, that year, they got the, I think it was the treatment of the captions was from like a Bermuda advertisement mm-hmm. in one magazine. Mm-hmm. The um, type treatment came from an article about Jeremy Renner mm-hmm. in Esquire. Yep. And the the punch through they used for their interrupters was from like, it was a rocket. maybe it was Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. but it was a, it was from a rock article. Um, and, and what they did was took those three disparate elements and put them in the yearbook blender and brought it together and then that informed their visuals so all of this is to say you don't need to find one article or one feature spread in golf digest or in Mm -hmm. wired and say this this and only this is our visual. in
0: fact you shouldn't the thing is it will get stale so fast you have to keep looking and you have to like if you decide triangles. And let me just say, don't do triangles. They get stale so fast. But if you decide triangles, you need to find 30 to 50 examples how triangles can be used to make that feel fresh without, oh, look, another triangle. You have to keep looking for it. I I will guarantee you that the fastest way to make the visual stale in your book is to have one piece that so moves you that you're like, yes, this is it. This is our book. I'm so excited. And then stop because you have to find all these different ways to present it. And further, if you can get them from different and disparate sources and put them in in this yearbook blender, which I have to get one. Is that on Amazon? I'm not sure. But um, (laughs) on Prime. (laughs) But when you put them in the yearbook blender, you can find different ways to use these pieces you just you just can't stop i can tell you that in the book that we just produced this 2018 book we saw
1: it is so pretty oh, it is so pretty <laughs> i think it's kind of it's pretty. so gorgeous thank you yes
0: the um the look for the cover started on just a regular gut page of a magazine and it was this random kind of layout of photos just a lot of photos and we did it And we did it exactly the way it was. And what was so pretty in this magazine was so ugly as our cover. But then we went back to our other pieces of visual inspiration, and we saw that we were leaning toward a scattering of photos with interesting internal margins that weren't always consistent. And we're like, oh, that's what it's missing. We put those together and we came up with something that I think is really pretty and unique, certainly for us. it's very. One of our goals is to make every book look different from the year before, and I think we've accomplished that this year. But we only were able to do that because when something wasn't working, we could go back to our bag of tricks, analyze what we liked about our professional examples, and then apply them to what we were trying to do.
1: Now, let me interject too, uh, because I've seen behind the scenes and and how um, Summit uh, 18 got made. You had uh, a, a kid or a group of kids um, run down like demons, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, serif typography ah. um, that uh, I believe you sourced again on multiple yeah. fronts, yet you said and I'm wondering if the internal conversation was, hmm, this is this is coming at us from six different magazines. This is a trend, and we should get after this. Yes,
0: it was like that. It's weird because, if uh, if you guys get a hold of a copy of my book um, from this year, I, it, its dominant visual element is this gorgeous serifed font. Period. There's no lines. There's no squares. There's no color palette. In fact, there's no color in the book besides the photos. It's just this thick black gorgeous font and i am anti-serif um i don't know why it's how i was raised i don't know if i need a 12-step program but my my thing are nice clean sans-serif fonts but we found this at this font and it just kept showing up over and over again and the kids were like we really like it we don't yet know how we want to use it but we really think it's got to be there so we kept putting it on our, you know, our mood vo- boards, whether they were virtual or physical. And then my friend, Mike Simmons, you guys may have heard of him. He and I were in a car on a way to a workshop very soon after my kids had found this font. And he said, and I said, we're trying to find and name this font so I can buy it. And he says, oh, I just saw that font on a Twitter post. It's beautiful. And next thing we knew, we had, we had the, um, name of it. And we'd put it through a couple of different font uh, apps trying to find it. But Michael found it because that's what you do. You find and do things. And it became between this white space pattern that we had found in multiple visual professional examples that we had just kept pulling over and over again. And this font that Michael ended up naming for us, that became our the entire visual presence of our book. There's like I said there's not there's not a line, there's not a square, there's there's no other visual element other than this white space and this beautiful dominant serif font and that became the entire visual identity of our book.
1: So as we shift into uh the kind of wrapping this this mm-hmm. conversation up, um uh I'm going to venture a guess that maybe we could gather um, uh, an inspiration piece or two and some of the slides that were indicative oh, yeah. of that in your book, could we share that with some of the podcast mm-hmm, listeners?
0: Absolutely. I'm happy to do that. Okay.
1: And you guys can look for a description of that uh, or a, a link to that in the description. Um, and trust me, you're going to want to take that that dive, being able to see the inspiration piece and then how Carrie's kids manifested it in the book and made it their own. Um, it's it's phenomenal. And I, okay. I would say too, Carrie, you and I have both experienced um, taking it and departing in a grand way mm-hmm. from it and really making it their own. And then sometimes hedging a little bit closer to staying to the source. Mm-hmm. I think um, when it gets into creative design, I, I don't know if I want to uncork a, a plagiarism con- conversation, but it really is important to have it as your own and, and make it work for you. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Advisors, yeah, I, as think, you guys are I, I think that's Harry, important, but go, also if you go
0: online and, and you um, just put in the words artists, steal. I think there's a lot of conversation about how, um, starting with an inspiration and making it your own is not the same as plagiarism. And I think, um, just like we do in all of our other subjects to, to go to the professionals, to go to the place, the people who've been there before, to go to the ideas that are already there to then move forward. That's just really good teaching practice. Also.
1: I love it. So here's what we're going to do. This is a new, new segment (laughs) in the podcast. Um, that we've never done before. I am going to put you on a timer. We're going to do rapid fire with oh Carrie Faust. Um, and what I want you to do, I'm going to give you a minute or so to respond to, um, a variety of questions. They're all theme centric. Okay. Uh, but one after the other, this is the stuff that's coming off of, uh, off of Facebook this morning. Okay. So, um, you, do you need to stretch or warm up at all. I, yeah, let me, I don't want to pull a hammy. Okay. I'm ready. All right, there you go. All right. So here we are. Uh, number one, I may not have any returning kids to the program this year. How soon into day one, week one, are we working on theme? The upcoming kids did a theme development they chose Everlasting with capital L-A-S-T like last the advice I got on this page was to give the new staff an opportunity to theme develop so that they'd have ownership of it. Take it away.
0: Okay. I agree with that advice you've, you've been given, but let's look at it from a practical standpoint. Um, when the year starts, you have to start covering right away. So if you can afford to do a quick boot camp before school starts, like a, a one day, here's how you take a picture. That's, that's the most important thing you need because you can't recreate content. So make sure that you're out getting the photos while in dis- in class, you're having the theme discussion. I do think you need to let them have ownership of it because otherwise they're not going to be able to move it forward. That doesn't mean you as the advisor can't do some pre-work. So play with some themes, play with some theme development so that you can take them down that path in a very quick way once school gets started. But focus on coverage because the theme, the theme needs to be ready to go when you have to put in pages, um, when you have to submit pages, but coverage cannot be recreated.
1: And, and I think that's an important, um, uh, uh, it's important to articulate that and, and just put that fully center for you advisors. I I got into it with one of my design editors who's brilliant two years ago, but he got very frustrated with me because he felt like I was minimizing what you and I Mm carry would call the quote unquote pretty of the Mm -hmm. book. And I said, buddy, like, if we don't have photos, it doesn't matter how pretty it is, I have to teach photo first Mm -hmm. and journalistic coverage and interviews second. Mm -hmm. And and frankly, and I know that this is cringeworthy, but we could, if we needed to, we could get to the pretty in December. But if we we don't have the photos, we've got nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's huge. Okay, question number two, what makes up the theme? The layouts, the colors, the fonts, the idea itself. Starting with the cover, rapid fire, cover, end sheets, carry, pick it up from there. Where do you see theme?
0: Cover, end sheets, title page, uh, dividers, opening, closing, folio, mods. So that's where you're going to see your verbal and your visual over and over again. That's where you you pick those elements, whether it's a color palette, it's it's going to be type packaging. It's going to be, if you have a graphic, how are you going to use those throughout the book? Uh, What you don't want is a cool picture and a cool font and typography on the cover, and then just never, ever see that again. So you have to find those ways to push it through the book, but those are the must-haves.
1: Love it. Uh, Next from Julia Wald-Walker, what's the best strategy for picking themes that will make me and my editors happy, impress judges, but more importantly, make the student body happy? And Julia, it's so important, and you'll hear this from Carrie and me and every other advisor who works with a high achieving group of kids, it is student body and school first. I just want to interject that. Forget about the judges, make it for your school first. But um, Julia continues, me, my editors and judges will be looking for something that's original, maybe untraditional, maybe risk taking. But some kids at the school and probably some kids on staff are disappointed each year if the book isn't straight up school colors and decorated with our mascot. Obviously, pride books have their place in time, but we don't want to do it every year. So how if they haven't if if it has been pride after pride after pride, Carrie, how do you move and step somebody away from that incrementally?
0: So this is this is a multi-step um, process to get to. The first thing I would say is that um, our colors are red and green, which elicit the idea of of Christmas. And while actually red and green are beautiful together, um, you know, just the connotation doesn't really work. So we try to produce a red or green or red and green book once every four years so that if a kid buys all four books, they've got one school color book on their shelf. Okay. That being said, I can tell you in the 15 years that we've been at Smokey, we've done two red books, one red and green book, and one green and white book. So that is it. And but that's become a cultural expectation for our school, and I don't think just because of the idea that red and green can be ugly, but because of how we're presenting the stories. One of the ways we moved away from it was we started with, you know, black books and gray books, moving moving away from that, and always, 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 the the color of the cover reflected the verbal of the story. So it was like, oh, well, this teal does make sense here because it's a bright, exciting um, verbal theme. So it ought to be a bright, exciting color. So back to the idea of the verbal theme, I'm going to go back to uh, rough, tough, and always a buff or whatever it is. Every year that a new kid suggests something along that line, or, um, you know, heard, h e. RD in the hallways, anything that's super literal with the mascot or the colors, we say to them, Oh, that's what fu- that's that's funny and it's cute. And I, I love that it you know comes back to the school. However, it's been done and we don't do things that have been done. But more importantly, what are you trying to say with that? Rough and tough and always a buff. Well, you know, our kids come from really tough backgrounds and we make it through, and the Buffalo community brings us together. That's awesome. Is there a cooler way to say that that will give us more storytelling ideas? Because let me let you all in on a secret. Every single year, my kids and I have the same conversations, but these conversations are brand new to them. Oh, my gosh, we have to celebrate our diversity. Oh, my gosh, this year, let's make sure we tell the stories of the individuals because there's such great stories in our school. And I'm telling you, for 15 years, we've had those same conversations. And I sit up and I say, I sit up at the front of the classroom with my editor and I say, oh, my gosh, that's such a good idea. How are we going to do that? There are no new themes. Just like Shakespeare stole everything he ever did, there are no new themes, no new stories, just different ways to package and present them. And what will make it fun for your staff and interesting to the student body is when you come up with a new way that honors the school to tell the important stories.
1: And that language, when you can divert from red and gold forever you can get into much, much more realistic and authentic teenage focused storytelling. Yes.
0: The, the stories um, of today.
1: Teenagers, <laughs> yeah, and their cool meters and their, and their cheese ball yeah. meters are so finely so tuned. tuned. Uh, it's been my experience that, that when it took a while at West, which was my, my former school, we merged to the new school. When we started diverging from green covers, the initial was, wait, what are you doing? And then a couple of years in, and it is a multi-year process, we made believers out of them and it was uh, mm-hmm. almost a trust. And and listen, inevitably, you're going to get a phone call from a mom who got her yearbook in 1991 or 1987, who says, why isn't it maroon? Why isn't it whatever? That's how my yearbook was. But anyhow, you know, again, another podcast. But you also have to
0: remember (laughs) to build that with your kids and with yourself. I mean, my principal is so smart and he always says, Steak on Tuesdays. And I say, What? Steak on Tuesdays. If I made an announcement tomorrow that our staff is so awesome, every Tuesday from now on, I'm going to give you guys steak just to celebrate how awesome you are. You're going to have someone say, Why is it Tuesday? Why is it steak? You can't win (laughs) from losing with some things. And the fact of the matter is, when you when you know the why behind the story that you're telling and the visual that you're presenting, then the few people who wonder why it's stake on Tuesdays are going to be overridden by the people who love the stories you've chosen to tell in the book.
1: Got it. Well, listen, my dear, dear friend, Carrie Faust, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This fun. I, I, you made this me feel like what, I know things. I, I, You certainly do. And uh, I know that there are advisors across the country listening right now because I've heard from them who are taking notes or Mm -hmm. even sharing this podcast with uh, staff members. If you are an editor or a staff member for a 2019 book, Carrie and I salute you and uh, welcome you to it and uh, send you all the good yearbook vibes in the world because the job that you are tackling as a yearbook staff member is like none other. And it's awesome and you're going to love it and we're so
0: happy you're doing it.
1: Absolutely, and to new yearbook advisors, um, Carrie, we've got a bunch listening. Um, a quick word of uh, of encouragement for any. Yeah, for you me. know
0: what? This is the um, best job you'll ever be exhausted to do, and I love it. I I was hooked after my first year, and by no means does that mean it was easy. But it is exactly why I am a teacher. The relationships I get to form with my kids through the process of your book and watching them physically produce something that is so much bigger than the group of 30 that you have in your class. It is, is watching them do something they never thought they could do. And it's, it's so powerful for both you and your kids. I'm excited for the fact that you are, you know, taking on your first or second book and I cannot wait to see what you guys do in 2019.
1: I love it. If you want to keep the conversation going, um, you'll be able to check in on Carrie and Aaron Harris and Megan Percival at yearbookbesties.com. I'll post Carrie's uh, Twitter handle and email address in the description of the podcast as well. And they can be in touch with you there, Carrie. Is that That's okay? perfect. Excellent. And we'll have some slides and, and other content ready for you guys in the description. Once again, uh, friends, this has been Carrie Faust. And Carrie, thanks for being on the podcast. Happy to do
0: it. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I hope that gave you a, uh, a lot to chew on, friends. Um, it's a lot there, uh, well over an hour's worth of content. And uh, for those of you that are out on a bike ride or a drive or something, I uh, hope that we were able to uh, uh, keep you company and, and give you plenty to think about. If you had to break it up into a couple sections, uh, hopefully it still worked for you. Uh, I apologize a, a little bit for the length, but uh, not at all for the content because uh, what Carrie had to share there is truly outstanding. Um, by way of, of summary and, and encouragement as you go forward, if your heads are spinning a little bit or you're, you're wondering where to start, remember that uh, our best advice is, is always story first. And um, I would encourage you to really come at it uh, like my, uh, my inquisitive five-year-old. Uh, ask why and challenge the, the why of the storytelling that your staff wants to do. Uh, and, and think about how you can Take your your story and turn that into solid coverage ideas, uh, into a, a theme that will sustain you and guide you and um, and really you know give you a, a strong foundation as you go into the uh, the year ahead. Story first, then you find your words, and as Kerry said, then you find your pretty. But it's it's so vital that it be in that order: story, words, and pretty um i'll include contact information for carrie uh down in the description of the podcast as well as a couple uh tiny url links you can look at those uh, look for those in the description for uh, resources from uh, a couple of the uh, smoky books that she's produced um be by all means feel free to to contact carrie online uh, on follow-up if you want to make sure that you identify yourself as a uh, as a listener of the podcast Remember that uh, you can find me at iteachyourbook at gmail.com. It has been absolutely fantastic to, uh, to hear from you and uh, have your, your follow-up questions. Uh, I certainly appreciate the kudos. And honestly, I just appreciate knowing that you're out there and that you're listening and that uh, you're finding this content useful. So if you, uh, if you got a moment, just drop a line and say, hey. You can also reach out on Twitter and, and find me in the podcast there at at yearbookwise. That's yearbook, W-H-Y-S. Uh, It'd be great to have you uh, to, you know, continue the conversation uh, out there as well. If you are recommending the podcast to anybody, you can uh, do so by encouraging them to search it out at Apple iTunes or on the Google Play Store. It's available on Dogcatcher and on uh, the Overcast app, really anywhere you subscribe to or download your podcasts. Uh, We'll be back in another week or so with the, uh, the yearbook Bestie Trifecta. I'm looking forward to having Megan Percival, uh, another one of my very best friends uh, out there. She's going to visit the podcast and talk to uh, newer advisors, uh, advisors maybe in transition from uh, one staff to the other, or advisors coming into uh, a staff that is new to them, uh, all sorts of, of stage setting and, and how we can spend time during the summer and uh, the latter part of the summer and early fall on, uh, on getting everything ready in the lab and with your staff. Uh, Megan is renowned as a a bit of an advisor whisperer and just has a a great manner and uh, takes great care in setting advisors on the right track. So if that is you or you're looking for uh, some encouragement, uh, you're definitely going to want to tune into that episode. Next up in the lineup of our conversations with former uh, JEA yearbook advisors of the year uh, is going to be Jim Jordan. Uh, He was advisor of the year in 1996. Uh, He's a dear friend and a retired advisor now of Del Campo High School. Um, He's going to uh, have lots to share with you. And um, I should make note, too, um, as we talk about uh, yearbook advisors of the year uh, of a passing this uh, week. The yearbook universe um, is is just a little dimmer, I think, today uh, with the passing of Kathy Craghead. She had advised... Uh, for 24 years as the uh, yearbook advisor at Mexico High School in Mexico, Missouri, uh, before retiring in 2007. She had been named in 2003 the HL Hall uh, National Yearbook Advisor of the Year by JEA, and uh, known for her wry uh, wit and, uh, and a good nature, uh, she was renowned in yearbook circles for being a mentor to um, dozens, if not hundreds, of, of advisors out there um had been very, very active in awards and critiques and, and JEA at large. And I know there are, are many of my dear friends in this yearbook world um, mourning her passing this week. So today we lift up uh, Kathy Craighead and all that she was and all that she did for students and advisors in scholastic journalism and yearbook specifically. Um, it's, a, it's a huge loss for our community and she will be sorely missed. Friends, for now, uh, that does it. I appreciate you tuning in to another episode of the Yearbook Wise podcast. For now, good luck, be well. We'll talk soon.